will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. Don't mean you have to like it. There's nothing to worry about. You're gonna be just fine. I'm your number one fan. Let her get away, mommy. Welcome to another edition of Horrifying My Friends. I'm horror host Trav. Joining me as always, the theme queen herself, producer Kate. Hello. And making his return to the show, the Sasquatch, the Gargantuan, the Cyclops (laughs) of the island, Michael Barton. Thank you for the fine words, Travis. It is great to be back on the program. Do you want me to call you Michael Barton or do you want me to use like an alias, like a spy name or... (laughs) No, I think most people in my network know my flaws. Okay. So so I wanted to intro Mike a little bit. I know it's been a long time, what, since like the Shining episode that he's been on? June of 2020, I think. Oh my God. (laughs) Two years, yeah. This can go down a really depressing angle. (laughs) But have you guys thought about like the last like year or so? We brought this up like a a few times uh, a couple weeks ago, but like. It feels like that we just skipped forward in time from 2020 to 2022. We just skipped forward two years, but it's like, I don't know. Maybe this is like a stoner's <laughs> way of thinking about it, but it's like, I lost two years of my life, like doing nothing, like doing absolutely. And we really weren't doing anything, like to be honest. I mean, we were still like living and shit, you know. Yeah. It, it was like a lot of just work and home and work and home. Yeah. And home. I, I, I'm probably unique, you know, um, we were always an essential business in what I do. And even during the pandemic, you know, I was still going to client offices, doing social distancing, mask and all that stuff. So I guess I have a different, you know, viewpoint on it than some, but yeah, yeah I mean, if you're working from home all the time, I can certainly see that. You well, know, on your viewpoint. private planes in and out of Kremlin and out of Saudi Arabia, you know, <laughs> all the, all the hotspots. Uh, so yeah, Mike and I were dorm buddies, uh, bonding over the greatness that is N64 wrestling, WrestleMania 2000. Um, I always used to beat his ass uh, mercilessly at um, uh, Mario Kart. That's, See, fake. I like That's fake news. Yeah, <laughs> I was like trying to make it up as I was going. <laughs> um, but yeah, we haven't had Mike on for a while. Uh, Mike is one of those dudes, though, that we didn't have like um, any like activities in common. So the way that we became friends was just by uh, us being into the same kind of stuff. And that's really like how some of the best friends are formed, right? Best friendships are formed. I'm sure you had that experience as well, living in the dorms at IU. Or maybe you guys just like got drunk and fell through tables like, constantly. <laughs> um, I didn't like my dorm life at IU. I actually moved into an apartment my sophomore year. What was the dorm life? Like, why was it bad? Um, because I lotteried like a random roommate and she was, um, let's just say, a little weird. I mean, some of that stuff I get, though, like, because I was antisocial a lot at the dorms. Like, you, mean, remember, you mean you're still not? Yeah. No, I still am. I or still, still am. are. They, rather, they yeah. called me the ghost because, like, <laughs> they could hear, like, Italian horror movies blaring from my room. <laughs> or I, But I was just, like, sleeping and or zoned in on those, like, Lucio Fulci films and shit like that. Um, well, before Travis had a name in my life, 
yeah. you know, he was known as the room where I just hear the office blasting through the one inch drywall in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, he's outing me as, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, dude. And I, I was like so into that show, like Ghost Adventures was like 2 a.m., you know, all night, uh, every night. <laughs> um, so just to quit, hit some quick news. So we also bonded over Pink Floyd. And a lot of the uh, a lot of that scene, you know, Rush, Pink Floyd, a lot of the progressive rock, but uh, they released their uh, their first newest song or their first song since 1994, of course, without um, Roger Waters. But "Hey Hey Rise Up" was written um, by the band and recorded um, to support Ukraine during the uh, invasion. Uh, I know you got a chance to check that out, but I thought it was pretty killer, man. Yeah, I can't understand a word they say. You yeah, know, it is in <laughs> Ukrainian, course, yeah. but yeah. Um, no, it's good sounding stuff. You know, I'm one of the few people who pays for music that's not on Spotify or Pandora. So, oh, look at <laughs> so I got my ten dollars worth a month right there and listen to their to their new hit, and uh-huh. it's good sounding stuff. I just can't understand it. David Gilmore <laughs> is one of those guys where as soon as he plays a note, you like know immediately. Like oh, it's yeah. insane. Like you know immediately that it's a David Gilmore. Um, Mike, what have you been watching, man? And we'll, then we'll go to producer K. Um, any TV <laughs> movies? I know one of the other things that we bonded, yeah, Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell classics. Yeah, and- I uh, I'm currently watching that Lakers winning time show on HBO. Okay. Uh, Liz and I are about to finish the first season of Love is Blind on Netflix. Oh, so boy. I'm a little embarrassed to bring that up on here. Yeah. Don't be. I talk about it all is the time. It- yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I'm one of those guys I watch everything. You know, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm a big Yellowstone guy. I know when I got here, Rose is watching Succession. You know, I'm into that. That show um, seems all right. It's like nothing but drugs and like backstabbing. And yeah, you know, I'm a some guy dude and, swallowing like he, this dude swallowed his own load. <laughs> I was like, that was pretty funny. Yeah, yes, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you know, um, no, but in my in my field, you know, being a CPA, um, you know, succession planning is something you deal with. Uh-huh. So just to see, you know, that just, you know, drama going on with that, you know level of a you know elite family it's just it's interesting to watch Mm -hmm. you know it's like a train wreck you just you have to watch going back to uh winning time uh have you heard some of the criticism of it from like former players i have and um you know if i'm jerry west watching that thing i I would be irate what do Um, they do with them do they make them like a drug addict no i mean they make them off to be this angry psychotic drunk person you know to where the show starts and for those of you who do not know you know, Jerry West is the logo, mm-hmm. you know, of the NBA. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's a hell of a player, you know, but he's also been the architect of so many great NBA teams. And, you know, as recently as this Warriors dynasty you see before you, you mm-hmm. know, so just it makes it makes him look very bad. And he's got a bunch of players, you know, coming to his defense. But, you know, they advertise before the show that, hey, some of this is dramatized, but. It just happens to be Jerry West is the culprit. <laughs> oh, that would suck. You know, the cool thing is, you know, the most recent episode I watched, they brought a guy named Spencer Haywood in, and uh-huh. I, he's actually a person I've spent time with, which makes this show even cooler. So uh-huh. um, it's a really interesting show for you sports, you know, fanatics or historians like me. But you know. Big Mike has sat next to a lot of great people, pissed next to a lot of great people, <laughs> including the great Jim Caldwell. Uh, Kate, what have you been watching? <laughs> Um, so a series that Brian and I recently binged, uh, is called the thing about Pam. Have you heard about this? No. Um, so it's on Hulu and it's starring Renee Zellweger and she is playing, she plays this, um, basically 
this woman who's essentially like a serial killer she turns out to be um but you're into that too aren't you well what serial women killers? women serial killers um so no she's not she's Brian, not a good one run. no she's so she's not killing men that would be a different story she's killing people to get money um she's because she's like a con a scammer kind of person like she's she'll like weave herself into someone's life mm-hmm. um and then get on their insurance plans or like different you know ways of getting their money and then she'll like help people get their money and she just gets like kind of off the rails and it's scripted of course and it's hollywoodized of course but it's based on a true story um a true a real person and these things kind of did happen maybe not in the comedic the dark comedy kind of way that they portray it but it is a dark comedy in the end mm-hmm. of, at the end of the day um so we binged it and it was honestly like it wasn't too bad since it was pretty good we, since we are on the horror podcast oh yeah i just saw that john wayne gacy thing came out on netflix really Wait, what? Yeah. It's, a new it's like it's I think tapings of some of his confessions or something like that. Ooh, like just got released. A fan of the show, John Wayne Gacy, right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Trav has a little uh, clown. It's John Wayne Gacy. They're called, as they're a called clown. Pogo. Yeah, Pogo from Paul Bear Press, but uh, he's a little bobblehead. I know we have a lot of, you know, Hagans who watch this show. I'm gonna go on a limb and say that is not a show Danny Hagan's gonna watch. Oh yeah, Pogo no. the Clown. No. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah, dude, it, it fucked up stuff. You wanna talk about some horror? Um, but yeah, he had this, uh, we actually got into it with the Danny episode, but he had this trick where he would be like, have them, um, he would put his hands behind his back and like lock himself up and then uh, escape the handcuffs. And then he would do it to someone else, but he had the key. So he was just like, Hmm. the, the trick is I have the key. And then he would, you know, bury him in his cellar. But anyway, killer stuff. Killer, killer stuff. Uh, <laughs> killer stuff. But, um, so, it, yeah, like I said, it's been a while. Um, who introduced you to horror, and why do you still seek horror out or horror-adjacent stuff out? You're one of my only, I would say, close friends. Like Hodge does every now and then, but uh, you're one of my only close, close friends, well, besides Kate here, that like actively seeks it out. Um, what keeps on bringing you back to the genre? Well, I'm probably just a disturbed individual. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) No, you know, in terms of who introduced me, you know, I was, I was trying to think about that earlier. As a matter of fact, I don't know that anyone ever like, you know, led me to it. I just remember as a young kid, I couldn't have been older than seven or eight years old. Mm -hmm. Halloween day. I think it was a weekend, you know, back then, I think it may have been on TNT or maybe it was still an AMC, but Halloween was playing. Oh yeah. And, um, I just remember having it on TV and my mom instantly turns it off Uh and I'm still kind of this way, but you know, once I was told I couldn't watch it, my curiosity was peaked. Like (laughs) I got to see what's going on in this Mm -hmm. thing. And then somehow, and later on in elementary school, I want to say as early as like fourth grade, I somehow finally convinced my mom to let me watch like Halloween two or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh man, now I got to see the first one. Mm -hmm. So just, that's the earliest memory I have of watching horror. And I think why I come back to it, I think after that, I just, I really enjoyed Halloween. You know, I always wanted to go get that Michael Myers mask or that Jason mask. And maybe you guys can sympathize with this, but, um, you know, after my parents got divorced, you know, Mm -hmm. my mom let us have a TV at her house in my bedroom. Yeah. You know, so if there was ever a time where I can watch something, no one tells me I can't, I mean, it's in the evening when everyone else is sleeping, right? Yeah. So I just remember Halloween night as a kid, I'd stay up all night watching all these movies I could, you know, you know, I was told I couldn't see. 
Yeah. And just ever since then, I you know, I remember going to Blockbuster in like fifth grade. I always had the same friend, Andrew McCass, and he's probably not ever gonna listen to this. <laughs> he and I just go to the horror section. You know, we'd rent oh, like yeah. ho- we'd rent like Halloween five, Pumpkinhead, all oh, that yeah. stuff. So uh-huh. I think what draws me back to it now, I think number one, it's a little bit of nostalgia. You know, but secondly, you know, you're starting to see newer movies of some of these, you know, cult classics like Halloween Kills last year. I mm-hmm. mean, that's something I got to see. That's what got me into the genre. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's what I think just really that nostalgia is what brings me back. And, you know, the fact that some of these, you know, movies you know, are, are coming out with further sequels. Yeah, man, you sound uh, you sound a lot like a bona fide horror fan, man, because it's like a lot of that is about nostalgia, like. Uh, look behind me like the physical media stuff that's like all about nostalgia you can people like sold all their blu-rays all their 4ks all their dvds uh, i even have vhs up there but it's like uh to go streaming to go 100 percent streaming but there's something about holding that and like having something tangible that you can hold i i still remember i was in sixth grade my mom gave me like the first Halloween on VHS with like the holographic, like it had like texture to it, like a hard yeah, cased Halloween. Yeah, I remember that. VHS. <laughs> I remember Christmas Day. I, I mean, that would have been 2001. That's like all I'm mm-hmm. doing is rewatching that. So I guess a lot of nostalgia, like we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, but, you know, for the first time, you know, last year I started getting into the Conjuring series, had never seen it before. Mm-hmm. I think I, I had just gotten HBO Max and, you know, the, the cheapo in me, I'm like, well, I got to get the value of my HBO Max subscription. Yeah. Well, the third Conjuring movie is coming out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, well, I better see the first one before I see the third one. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, some of the new stuff is still good, but it's that nostalgia that brings that brings me back. So that's actually a pretty good segue. Um, what kind of horror scares you? Is it, is it this type of stuff that we're covering tonight with Exorcist 3, The Conjuring, The Omen, you know, stuff like the supernatural kind of possession religious based type stuff um or is it some some other kind of no this you know the serial killer stuff doesn't scare me i mean you know for those of you who have never met me you know you are a serial killer well right i I can't tell you (laughs) that travis not on the air at least no i mean for those of you don't know me i mean i I'm bigger than majority of human beings out there. Yeah, you look like fucking Michael Myers and Rob right. Zombie's Halloween. So. You know, I'm I'm six <laughs> nine. I, I hate to. I'm around three hundred pounds now. I'm just bigger than the average dude out here. Mm-hmm. So that kind of stuff doesn't scare me. What scares me, you know, growing up Catholic. You know, I have an uncle who's a priest. You know, we're still Catholics. So, you know, we don't. Oh, go to I church. didn't know that. Yeah, you know, I I don't go to church as much as I should. You know, don't tell my mother. Um. Are you, know, you a religious dude? Like, yeah, no, I, I, no, I am a religious guy. Um, you know, so the demonic stuff scares me because I know uh-huh. it's real. You know, I know my uncle has been involved in exorcisms, and I know another guy, uh, Father Vince. He was a Saint Malachi for a while. He would host sessions like in the evening where he'd talk about exorcisms he has performed. Oh, dude, so, you gotta you gotta write his number down. So I wanna go. that that kind of stuff scares me because I know it's real. Okay, you know. Um, so I think that kind of answers your question, yeah, no, but sure. in, in terms of the serial killer stuff, some of that's so unrealistic, you know, people make the, you know, classic poor choice and you know what they're doing in the oh, house yeah. and get killed. Yeah. yeah the that's, slashers it's more, things. it's more fun just slash dark comedy, you know, to me, some of that stuff. Yeah. You're rooting for the slasher. Right. Like, but 
you know, some of these cases, like in, you know, The Exorcism or The Exorcist of Emily Rose, whatever the title's called, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's based off real stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. that that to me is a little scary. Now, my next question is about Ouija boards. But, Kate, do you buy exorcisms (laughs) like all this other stuff? Now, we're not coming down on anybody's religious beliefs or anything like that. No, I'm not here to mock anyone's religion. Um, I don't know. So I'm Mm. I'm of the mind of like I and I put this in your controversial Facebook post about this about Ouija (laughs) boards. Controversial. Um, It wasn't controversial. I'm just joking. But I basically you at we were asking like, uh, would you ever have a Ouija board and like use it in your house or whatever? And Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of speaks to the whole like, do I believe in demons and evil spirits and things? And it's I I don't know if I do. Because I've never seen it, I've never witnessed it, never heard any, you know, firsthand accounts of these things. I've just seen it in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not particularly re- religious myself, but I'm also not so arrogant to assume I know everything about the universe, you know. Mm-hmm. And if there are evil spirits out there, you're not going to find me conjuring them with a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Just to be safe. I'm risk averse, you know. What about you with a Ouija board? Would you ever play with one? I would not. Just... <laughs> I, w- I wanted to get up early. I overslept. I had a truck this morning. I slept in until about like 6, 10. And I was like, fuck. Because I was going to go Barnes & Noble and get a Ouija board and like lay it out. <laughs> <laughs> Just because she said she was afraid of it. Yeah. Like that's how. I didn't say I'm afraid of it. That's how uh, deep my trolling goes. <laughs> but I'm yeah. just not going to mess with it. That's interesting though. I didn't expect that out of you. Well, because I... I mean, what's the what's the draw of it? See, I've like, never played with one either. I, yeah. I can talk. I, can I don't talk understand hard, the draw but... of it. Even if you think like all spirits are benign, like mm-hmm. I don't see the draw of it. Just inviting stuff. Because in. it really yeah. like it's a thing for te- like I feel like teenage or preteen kids to get in, you know, and the per- one kid is evil and pushes things around to to make all the other kids freak out. Like they push the planchet around. Mm-hmm. And then they say, "Oh, it wasn't me. I wasn't doing it." You know, it just seems like a silly little game for kids. I, yeah, I don't know. That's what it feels like to me. I, I really think there. I mean, this sounds crazy, but I really think like there is evil out there, and I feel like uh-huh. doing something like that, you know, you're just poking the bear. It's you kind know of. I mean? So, oh, interesting. So you look at it like almost like a karma kind yeah. of thing. Like you're fucking with stuff, and it, right. eventually it's gonna right. Yeah, I just I can see that. Yeah. I, I'm a weird guy, but like I do believe in you know good karma to a certain extent. Right. I feel like something like that. I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I need good karma. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, I wanted to get some of that out of the way because I thought that that was uh, Ari well, and I were arguing about it. Oh, go ahead. You didn't. You weren't clear. Would you have a Ouija board and call on evil spirits in your own house? See, I would. Yeah, but <laughs> I. But see, like he runs a horror podcast. <laughs> Hey, I, no, I wouldn't too, call. I wouldn't. Uh, to be fair, let me clarify. I wouldn't call evil spirits. I wouldn't be like, "Hey, demon, get inside me, baby." <laughs> like I wouldn't do that. But I would be like, "Is anybody there?" You know the classic like, like questions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I wanted to hit some of that stuff because we had like a pretty interesting discussion at work and stuff. And like I, like you said, I made that Facebook post, and I genuinely like I wasn't like. 95% of the stuff I do is trolling. Like, he knows this. <laughs> but I genuinely wanted to uh, get gauge people on, like, if Ouija boards were still, like, had that mystique about them. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, growing up during the time that we did, and we're all, like, the same age, 
it was a lot of like the playground talk and stuff. It was like a lot of like the, this happened like to my aunt, like she played with the Ouija board and then she tried to throw it away and then it ended up under her bed or, you know, and you can't confirm (laughs) it, but it's like a fucked up story. You know, I didn't know what a Ouija board was until I think I watched the first paranormal activity. Really? Really? Because in that, don't they dabble with that in that movie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. that was the first time I'd really known what a Ouija board was, if that's how you say it. That's fucked up. Uh, yeah. I had cousins up. who, I, we were younger than them, but they like took it down to their basement, you know, and they had the Ouija board out, and us young, younger kids were like, well, what are you doing? We're like preteens and they're teenagers, and they were just tricked us. They just freaked us out by pushing it around and saying, like, they pretended they were this the spirit of this man who killed someone and like they just scared us they pretended you know? like mean, one of them was getting possessed and shit He's no like, no but they were pushing it around spelling out oh, answers yeah. and you know i mean kate i wasn't even turning off the lights in my bathroom saying candy man <laughs> they, i had a i had a cousin who tried to make us do candy man too mm-hmm. yeah all right so i have some more questions for you guys but let's intro the movie and kind of uh move forward into the discussion and then I'll, I'll hit you guys. Cause I want to get your p- comparison because this is actually really cool because Mike had never seen the original exorcist either. So I want to kind of compare and contrast these two and um, cause it's long been kind of a, not, not a debate, but like I've said that I prefer this one over the original before. Mm. Um, flip-flopping i don't know i don't know where i stand you know but we'll find out later on in the show uh this is exorcist part three um how did you first discover or hear about the exorcist series okay we'll start with you um so i didn't know it was a series for a very long time Uh probably until you told me there were more than one i just thought it was just the exorcist or the let's go like the the mystique like the exorcist like Um, people going i again didn't really know anything about it until i was i want to say i was maybe 14 or i think it was 14 Mm -hmm. and my older sister and danny hagan he's been on the show and uh, some of their friends you know i was like the the kid that was in my sis- little sister was two years younger and I just like would hang around all the older kids all mm-hmm. the time. Um, or my mom would make them watch me. I don't know. Uh, and they decided to have like a movie night with all of them and watch the exorcist. Mm. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I watched it <laughs> and that was my entree into the exorcist and it scared the shit out of me. I have a story, uh, uh, similar to Brooks always says, like tells a story where his mom found a paperback of the exorcist, like in an alley walking when she was a teenager. <laughs> I found a paperback in my closet at my dad's and uh, just that front cover. It was like, it was always one of those like books and movies that I kind of steered, stayed away from. Uh, I, I think I ended up seeing it till like when I was about the same age, probably as you, but yeah, I didn't appreciate it as much then as I do now though, which is weird, which we'll talk about a little later. Uh, what about you, man? When when was the first time you heard the like the mystique of The Exorcist? I'll tell you when. I was maybe a little younger than Katie said. Um, I think I had just seen Scary Movie Two. <laughs> nice. They, well, if you remember, they had. I think it was James Woods uh-huh. as like the priest in that. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it was funny, but I didn't know what it was from. And then I kind of looked into it further, and I was like, oh man, The Exorcist. I, you know, never seen that, and. You know, until Travis, you know, brought up this podcast, you know, I first time I'd watched it for whatever the reason. I mean, there's a million movies out there. You guys know that. Mm-hmm. 
But um, yeah, that was the first time I'd heard of it. The little girl like peeing on the floor in Scary oh. Movie 2. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, The Exorcist Part 3, 1990. Um, good year, by the way. Uh, directed by William Peter Blatty, adapted from the novel Legion by Mr. Blatty himself. So writer turned director. Uh, set 15 years after the events of the first Exorcist. Uh, part threes are usually a fucking disaster. Uh, just think about all the terrible part threes that we've got. So it's pretty rare when one can at least arguably match, you know, the originals heights. Well, again, we'll get there. Exorcist three belongs in what I'd call the criminally underrated part threes. At least they were for years. People are starting to catch up to fantastic films like Halloween 3. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> uh, Scream 3, Return of the Living Dead Part 3, uh, Hellraiser Part 3, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3, just to name a few. Um, the Tubular Bell, so this uses it very briefly at the beginning, and then it goes into this like kind of mono, really, really dark-sounding music. And I think they did that on purpose to like separate like, this isn't just The Exorcist. This is a little bit different spin on it. But iconic score, for sure. Uh, synopsis, a police lieutenant uncovers more than he bargained for as his investigation of a series of murders, which have all the har- hard marks, or the all the hallmarks, I should say, <laughs> hallmarks of the deceased Gemini serial killer. This leads him to question the patience of a psychiatric ward. Okay, starring George C. Scott as Lieutenant William Kinderman, Ed Flounders as Father Joseph Dyer, uh, Jason Miller as Patient X, Damian Karras. Uh, this is one of the reasons why we are covering the theatrical cut. So there's there's a director's cut that does exist on the fantastic two-disc uh, Scream Factory edition, but a lot of the stuff... Um, I actually enjoy the theatrical cut better, but um, yeah, we're not covering the director's cut because of the inclusion of Jason Miller. Uh, I felt like that was, I felt like he's fantastic in this film. Uh, Brad Dur- Brad Dourif as James Veneman, aka the Gemini Killer. Uh, did you guys recognize him from anything? I did not. The voice of Chucky, Brad Dourif. There's even a Child's Play little <laughs> nod Who there. Who does he look like? He I do remember like... the Child's Play nod. Yeah. At the movie theater, I think, right? Uh, What was that? I was thinking maybe, because they go to the movies in one scene. Um, It's when he's talking to Linderman, and he says, like, that's Child's Play, or something like that. His voice is so okay. fucking amazing. Well, I'm though. way off there. Like, his screaming and stuff, so amazing. A lot of cameos... Samuel Jackson as the blind dream man, uh, Larry King, Patrick Ewing as the angel of death. Did you notice Patrick Ewing? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> this is worth pulling him up. Was that I, in the dream? Sequence? Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he plays like the bringer of death or something. Well, it's supposedly based, you know, I think around where Georgetown University is in Washington D.C. If I'm not mistaken, so yeah. I, you know, maybe that makes sense. Yeah, look at Patrick Ewing there, and his. Uh, 1990 would have been his. Oh my uh, gosh! Look at him. His height of his career, right? Uh, maybe I'd still say around that kind of 93 time, but you know, people know better than me. It's a youthful Patrick. Hume. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I didn't recognize him. This is a this is a part NBA podcast today. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Patrick Ewing as the Angel of Death. Uh, Fabio as an angel. Did you? Recognize I did. Him? I did mm-hmm. see Fabio. <laughs> 
Um, so William Peter Blattery made this film based on the novel Legion, like I said earlier, uh, published in 83. Uh, Morgan Creek, who is the producers of the film, decided to call it the Exorcist Three Legion, even though the screenplay in the novel featured no exorcisms whatsoever. Um, this was, of course, changed and like after uh, pretense principal photography sorry i can't read right now was completed they realized that they had a bit of a problem the producers determined that additional scenes needed to be written and then added into the film to make that connection between this and the first exorcist um the climax had to be completely reshot with the assertion of a new character uh father mourning with the exorcism scene uh we got ended up costing like four million dollars so the complete upheaval of the ending of the film. Um, William Peter Blatty wanted the film to be titled simply Legion, just like his novel. Uh, Blatty wanted to stay as far away as the second Exorcist film as he could. Did you ever watch, did you watch the second one? I didn't just because you said it's not related. It's a piece of shit. And, yeah. It's got its fans. Um, basically, uh, Blatty and, um, fuck, I'm blanking on the director of the first one, uh, William Freakton, was cra- they were crafting a story on where they could go next, even if they like, or if they should even go anywhere next. And the producers were like, this is the exorcist. We need a fucking sequel out there. Let's get it out. And so they hired some dude that did like Excalibur and Mardoz, (laughs) Mardoz with the great Sean Connery, I believe, and uh, put it out. And it's like, it goes for trippy, but dude, it's, it's fucking bad. Um, so yeah, that's one of the reasons why he wanted to stay away from the second Exorcist film as far away as he could, but it's also like the time gap. Cause you got to think this is 1990 original Exorcist was what, 73, 74. Mm-hmm. Um, the producers, however, decided on the Exorcist three for commercial reasons, of course. Um, and like I, like I said earlier, an unofficial director's cut exists. Um, most of the original footage was lost, so they had to splice like the VHS dollies and stuff in. So you get that like almost complete like version of the movie in the Screen Factory edition, but just a pretty cool thing. A Finnish melodic death metal band, Children of Bottom. I bring this up because I know Mike is a huge fan has used sound bites from their film <laughs> Great has used sound bites from the film and their songs for added brutalness the song follow the reaper features the exorcist three quote death be not proud though some have called the mighty and dreadful though art not so okay the the film ignores the previous sequel the shitty exorcist 2 but it never outright contradicts it um like it goes out of its way not to contradict it. Like we open on that shot of the stairs, and if you notice, like it doesn't really show the house from you know the the mm-hmm. second you know the second one. Um, apparently, Exorcist Part Three was the favorite film of friend of the show Jeffrey Dahmer, Katie. Um, <laughs> the Zodiac Collection, the Zodiac's final letter came out in '74, where he directly referenced the first Exorcist film, calling it the best satirical comedy that I have ever seen. Uh, Blatty would later base the Gemini killer character from Legion on the Zodiac. This is the Zodiac speaking. So with that, Mike, I want to get your initial reaction to The Exorcist Part 3. You know, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it's different than the first one, yeah. like substantially different. 
you know, Travis and I are texting earlier, you know, did you think it was better? And my answer was, well, I, I think they're kind of uncomparable. Uh-huh. You know, this one's almost more, uh, I don't want to say a whodunit because that's too simple, but it's it's more got a crime element to it. Mm-hmm. And then the exorcism part slowly kind of works its way, even though it starts at the stairs. I mean, that's that's my take on it. You know, but I, I liked it. You know, um, as a person who's, you know, been around the hospital a ton, it's it was mind-blowing to me that, you know, they can't figure out who's going into rooms killing people. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, take take away all that, right? Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll tell you what, when I read the description of the movie before I watched it, mm-hmm. you know, um, I almost thought, like, oh, is this going to be like the third Conjuring movie that just came out? Mm-hmm. You know, is, you know, are they going to go to trial and you know, there's an exorcism part or something like that? But, you know, completely different from that expectation of it. Um, you know, the whole story of the cop and, you know, trying to figure this thing out. I, I thought it was a good watch. You know, um, I, I kept trying. I couldn't figure out at the end of the first exorcism if the priest died when he fell down the stairs. And oh, well, yeah. that, that question kind of got answered, which was nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so I, I liked it. I, you know, we talked about, you know, being the third movie, you know, so when Travis tells me you're watching The Exorcist 3, I'm thinking, oh, God. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be awful, yeah. you know. So I set very low expectations for it, and um, you know, it, it it exceeded my expectation. Granted, I didn't have you know very high ones to begin with, but it was entertaining nonetheless. Um, you know, I thought the priest, you know, who he was kind of friends with, was kind of. I feel like in a movie, there's always two people who go to the very end together. Yeah, and I thought it'd be you know the cop and that priest going all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. And when he dies, like right at the beginning, I'm like, oh man, mm-hmm. you know, so. Not a ton of jumpy parts, but the whole thing was very interesting. I was curious to see how they tied in the, you know, kind of exorcist piece to it. And I'm glad you watched the original because you got the whole Father Karras thing, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, in his connection with Father Karras, which was pretty cool in this one. Uh, Kate, where do you think it stacks up against the original, if you had to compare that? I think the original's still the one I prefer, mm-hmm. but I did enjoy this. Mm-hmm. I'll say, like, first impressions was... It's a little long, but I, it was still enthralling, even though it was long. And there were a few scenes I was just like, cut this scene, shorten this up. How like, dare you? I mean, I'm sorry. Don't There's even fucking just, say the scene that I, w- I think uh, you're going to say to cut. To me, it's just like, I don't need to sit and watch nothing happening for this long, you know? And maybe it's just my 2022 which, which brain. Which scene in particular? Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, so they just really hem and haw. I think it's a brilliant scene once they get to the whole point of it. And it's you when, better not, dude. It's when he comes. <laughs> no. It's when he, they come out in the white, all dressed in oh white. Oh my god! Behind the nurse and chop her with to chop her head off. Like there's a lot of setup to that scene. Oh yeah. That was to me. It didn't add suspense. Like it was silent almost. You didn't in get the back. suspense from that. No, I, I, you know what's coming because I respectfully disagree. Yeah, I disagree. Listen, as well. he he Big said time. he had just said in like the scene before, like good night, you know, good night moon, good night air, or whatever, good night Amy. Like basically, they're gonna kill Amy the nurse, mm-hmm. and then you know what's coming, so just get there. You know what's <laughs> coming, but you don't know when. And if you think about it, like you you follow her on her procedures, and the cop leaves, and then he comes back. She enters the room once, she leaves, she makes another round, she enters that other room, and then there's a fake jump out, like there's a fake scare. It's that like, that I didn't mind because uh-huh. that was like oh, a nice little jump scare and stuff. Uh-huh. It was it was just like the back and forth and watching the cop go in and out, and it's like just fucking do it. Like, but isn't that? 
at the same time, though, isn't that unconventional and like no, I think smart was, filmmaking? I think it was probably conventional for the 90s. I think, like I said, I just have an attention span that's just different these days. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like a lot of fluff. And there's something. I'm not saying this is a bad movie. It's a good movie, mm-hmm. but there's something about how just how dial or like word dense this script is. There's Ooh. there's there's not a lot of you know breathers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people are talking like it's a it's a movie huge, directed by a writer, right? There's so many monologues that are just so long, well, and I, it's adding it's adding content and context and color and you know character and stuff. And mm-hmm. I get it, but at a certain point, I think because I think of, I kind of get I get how crazy the Gemini killer who is one of the Legion that's possessed doc, or uh, Father Karras. Like I get it. I don't know if I need this many super long monologue scenes from this crazy killer. Like I when get the it. two of them were going at it. Um, there's multiple scenes where uh, the detectives in the room, or whatever his name, Lieutenant mm-hmm. Bill, I don't know, um, Fenderman. Yeah, is in the room with he's seeing you know Father Karras, but you as the viewer of the film are seeing the Gemini killer speaking. Right. Uh. Um, and a lot of those scenes are like brilliant and they're acted so well and he's like delivering these lines and he's like genuinely scary and crazy and his voice is scary man. yeah and Fred i love Europe. how i love how they do the voice effects you know uh. like they do in the extras the original exorcist too but like there's so much i appreciate about it but i did find myself drifting at a certain point in the middle of these super long monologues i think the monologue if you're going for the kind of quasi crime thriller I feel like the monologue enhances that because it gives you more information to like think about on some of that stuff. That, that's that's why I'm think still of that. gonna. I'm still about to pass out. I agree Kate. that they it's it's necessary <laughs> to have them in, but there are multiple and they're really. Oh yeah, long. no, the monologues. Yeah, what did you think about the uh, the jump scare though? Because I think it's the best jump scare of all time. You got to remind history. me of the jump scare. So the the one where the uh, the uh, person all in white like comes out and yeah, so they're the in the hospital. Head. There's a person dressed like draped, yes. draped in white. Oh my a... gosh, that was terrifying. Yeah, that's the scene that we were just arguing about. Yes. That, that part's good. It's like the lead up. I'm sorry, I thought much. you were talking about at the house where the old lady tr- attempts to cut his no, daughter's head off. No, no. I, like, so I, I, I still completely disagree with you. I think you need that <laughs> moment of silence drawn out. Like I think, it, and it is, it is dialogue. It was an hour and 59 minutes, I feel yeah, like, without It was close to two it. hours. I think the di- I think you're on it though when you talk about the dialogue stuff because if you think about it, it makes sense because it's the writer of the original source material mm-hmm. and a lot of the uh, speak is very writery you know it's like the guy um, which I actually love this monologue but it's when uh, Linderman's like giving a completely dry like uh, account of his mother what is it, his mother-in-law being in town mm-hmm. yeah and they're cooking fish and he's just like the fish is in the bathtub swimming back and forth. He's like, I haven't had a, sh- I haven't had a shower in three days. He's like, I can't go home until the fish is. <laughs> what does he say? I can't go home until the fish is asleep, I'll, or I'll kill it. Um, and I, it's, I'm making this sound like I, like I'm being critical, but over hate, overall, you hate, the, you hate the film, but no, what, I don't. What's okay. crazy, overall, I actually what's really crazy did like it. About that white figure cutting off the nurse's head, because like the cops like right there, like he at the nurse's stepped, station. He had just he, he had out. just stepped out. You're right. Was he but, in the version that you watched? Yeah. Yeah, you watch the right version. Though. Okay. Because he isn't even in the. I don't think he's in the director's cut. Okay. Well, it felt longer, <laughs> longer than it was. <laughs> wow. I. That's that's just my impression. See, I think I that know. that's the best. I, I I will die on this hill that that's the best jump scare of all time, like in history of horror. I'm not saying that that was the problem. 
Okay. I'd like the to jump, remind the scare her, itself wasn't the problem. I'd like to tell our viewers I actually watched this on Easter Sunday. That's got to be a sin. Oh yeah, that's metal. Yeah, you're going to hell. <laughs> oh. What do you want to get into the plot? Yeah. Like, did you yeah, say what you? The... Pro- no, you didn't. Oh, you I didn't. didn't. I, I, I was uh, I was waiting to cop out and not answer. Nope. Answer. Um, I actually think that it had been a long time since I've seen the entire series. Of course, we had Step on for the first Exorcist. It had been a while since I'd seen this one. Um, I do somewhat agree with Mike that they're to- it's almost like this one's like The Exorcist meets Seven. Like it's like it's mm. more thriller horror and stuff. But I think the original, I think the original is a better film. I think I enjoy watching this one more. I think that's how I'm going to get out of that one. I think the original is by far the better film though. Why do you like watching this one more, though? Um, I think it just speaks to me a little bit more, like the fucked up uh, images of the... Probably because... <laughs> I know what you want me to say, though. Because of the mother-daughter stuff. I think all that shit's boring in the original. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think it's just like I connect more with like the gruff detective. Yeah. You know, he's... And the... Um, I really enjoy the relationship... In both films, really, between, especially in this one, between Kinderman and what's his name? Um, the pre- his yeah, priest friend. Yeah, Dyer, mm-hmm. where they're going to the movies, and it actually reminded me of Rose because he's like, I need some lemon drops. And uh, Linderman's like, We're going to, like, we're going to miss the movie. Like, we got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I will go down as saying that I enjoy, like, if I'm going to pop one of them in, I'm going to pop this one in and watch it. But I can see that there's more he, there's more to catch on multiple watches I think on this mm-hmm. one because there's so many words and so much like as I grow thriving. older though like I like The Exorcist like moves and moves and moves up my list of like not just like horror films but just like total film period like I think it's like fucking crazy good yeah uh, a couple things Travis yeah go ahead one when they're going into the movies and he just shows his cop badge. Okay. That's a complete boss move. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, I love the det- or the lieutenant. He's fucking great in this. Before we go deeper into the plot, I want to get like this is the last thing I want to ask about the original. Uh, Mike, you mm-hmm. had just seen it for the first time. Did it live up to that like mystique and stuff for you? I ha- this is gonna sound crazy. I almost have to say no, just for me because I mean I've just kept hearing like. Oh my gosh, The Exorcist is the greatest horror movie ever. Yeah. And then I finally watch it. For me, it's what's the expectation I set ahead of time? I set a really high bar for it. As a matter of fact, I was watching it in a hotel room in the middle of Kansas by myself. So I, the setting was real right to oh make my it scary. God. But I just feel like I've seen other Exorcist type movies of late that I enjoyed more, I guess. So I, I don't know. Again, I'm crazy, right? Yeah. But. I'd set I set such a high bar for it that it it's just I kept hearing you know it's one of the best horror movies of all time I, like I I compared it to like The Shining which I probably shouldn't have done mm. like I thought The Shining was better I think like if you would ask me this in the seventies I mean that's one of the scariest movies you've ever seen mm-hmm. you know what I mean I just feel like I've seen a lot you know a lot more different horror since you know similar demonic type stuff that I that I enjoyed more so from that standpoint no is it a great film absolutely. I just set a really, really high bar for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I would say The Exorcist actually scared me. This one didn't scare me. There was horrific, like, I can't imagine, like, 
the guy who wrote this is a little fucked up. Like to think up some of these mm, like the blood, tableaus, the blood thing. That's what I was going to bring up a second ago. To think up some of these horrible things that just mostly get described to you. You don't see them happening. He drained but, all the blood out of Dyer's body. Yeah. And the only thing he spilled, he like, cause he wrote it on the wall. Oh yeah, it did. It's right. a wonderful life, which yeah. is a killer shot. Yeah. Oh, my for God. me, it's what they did to the little 12 year old boy in yes. the beginning. Um, just so depraved and so evil and, even the fact Cruel. to consider like the young yeah. like African American boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, there's and, a lot of racial stuff in this movie. And, like, and you a lot really, of the, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in here too. And you really never got yeah. like a good reason why like he killed the black kid. In my opinion, is it a co- is it anti-Semitism or is it like a commentary on in- anti-Semitism? Like, um, just to be clear, I don't know. I, I think, think, that, it I think is, that depends I think it's on like the a commentary. I think it depends on the intent of the writer. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah. I think it because this is a movie about a lot of Catholics like yeah. anti-semitic things <laughs> like yeah. yeah what did they i mean they try to make it funny i guess okay, those point. are the northeastern Catholics. Oh, okay yeah. whatever <laughs> uh but they yeah like even he, like the detective or i keep calling him the detective he is one i guess um his mom says something about um the jews being a certain way and then she's like oh and the ne- next thing you'll know they'll want to be eating papaya or something uh-huh. so these they like try to spin it funny but it's like it doesn't land for yeah. me um so i don't know what the commentary would be now do you think back in the 90s that draws a laugh I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it might we're, just be we're, like a we're in a different thing. culture now. Oh my gosh, you said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it I might don't just know. be like a time thing. Yeah. So, I do you want to talk about the killings right now? Do you want to like I, give a breakthrough of the of the plot? Um, I'll go. Because the killings is a big point that the, I want to focus on. We should talk about the the killings, like because it, you, again, you don't see them. Mm. They're described to you in this very horrific flowery detail. and horrific way um which is very different from the exorcist because you're watching this little girl be you know her body be degraded in ways that you would never expect it which i think why it scared me more uh-huh. um than this one because this is about like you're imagining it but they're not forcing you to look at it kind of thing mm-hmm. uh but anyway um i'm gonna give you the cliff notes this time because mm-hmm. to me this was kind of long and we've I want to make sure we have time to like talk about it more than just saying that long. Then listen, (laughs) then listen to me, (laughs) like uh, go scene by scene, you know. But basically, you come in and you meet the the lieutenant. um, Do you want me to call him Bill or Linderson? What is it? No, not what is his name? What is his name? Kinderman. Kinderman. Um, Mm -hmm. So Kinderman, and he's kind of the the lead on this uh, murder that has happened in town where this young boy has, and we'll talk about it in more detail, this young uh, black boy who is just known in the community as this like good hearted kid who wants to be a cop one day. And like, he's like, he, he was brutally murdered, his head Mm -hmm. cut off, like um, blackface, a blackface Jesus head or something was put onto his body. Mm -hmm. Um, He was tortured. Like it was awful. His middle finger was cut off too or something. Yeah. And then he had a Gemini symbol on Mm -hmm. his other hand, which is like, the calling card of this killer who is dead now, as far as everyone knows, he was put in the electric chair and gone. So they're like like 15 years. Yeah. So like, is this a new copycat? What's going on? Um, And so that's kind of where you come in and that's where you meet um, Kenders. What? Kenderson. Kenderman. Kenderman. I'm not going to get that right. Um, Anyway. And Kenderman's, you know, talking to the detectives and you, you watch more murders happen. Like as he is sort of having his little time and you're getting to know his relationship with his priest friend, Father Dyer, um, which is very cute. Um, you can tell they've been friends forever. 
and yeah. they are genuinely, you know, concerned for each other's well-being. Like they're really truly good friends. Um, so while you see that happening, you're also seeing these other murders happening that are very much in the, the vein of the Gemini killer. Can I say something real, real quick? Sure. Um, and this, this is re- relevant to like the first one as well. This, <laughs> and this is gonna sound fucked up. This actually, like these films, actually give me more faith. An organized religion in a weird way <laughs> because of the depictions of the fathers like they seem like the, they're so the priest, real of the priest you mean yeah that yeah the priest okay you said yeah. fathers i could mean a variety sorry <laughs> i'm being well, an ass they're so real like think about uh karis in the original like mm. how he's tormented tormented and he's like he doesn't really know where he stands and all of it and Mm -hmm. this dude which seems like he's just a normal guy he's like trying to stay Mm -hmm. positive and shit until kinderman starts describing like the horror the legit fucking terror of the world and what's going on yeah and you you see a a moment with kinderman and father dyer where Kinderman's talking about like what kind of god will allow and these, these these are the kind of questions i think a lot of people you know, ask like what kind of God will, would allow all this kind of suffering and would mm-hmm. encourage or create this kind of suffering, um, especially for kids, you know, and I'm sure this argument, you know, happens between priests and their parishioners, well, parishioners in the Catholic their Church, parishioners, yeah. like all the time. It's a natural, like inquisitive kind of thing. This is this lieutenant has seen probably the most horrible things that I've ever heard described. Like mm-hmm. he goes on like for quite a bit. Well, like a, a kind of linchpin scene is where father Dyer is in the hospital. He is, you know, in for something you don't really know. It's like some kind of mysterious thing, but um, Lieutenant comes to visit him. He's really worried about him. Well, boom, father Dyer turns up dead. Like you said, Mike, in a really like, freaky way they've drained someone has drained all his blood um someone who had access to the hospital in the middle of the night drained all his blood put it neatly in these containers and then wrote it's a wonderful with two l's um life on the wall which is a reference that the lieutenant would understand uh and the double l's is another calling card yet again of this gemini killer so um the lieutenant's fire is lit even more because this is someone close to him and i don't want to spoil all the other scenes in between but eventually the lieutenant gets introduced to this you know patient x or whatever (laughs) what do they call him patient x patient uh, x or like this this mystery person but you know if you've seen the exorcist then you know it's father karis as soon as you see his Mm -hmm. face um and he is acting possessed and he is possessed by multiple different entities um but the most prominent one that is doing a lot of the speaking to the lieutenant is the gemini killer the gemini killer when he was fried up you know met the one i'm assuming is just the devil and uh his little other demons and they have possessed the group of them uh father carius to make him suffer as much as possible um specifically by going after and killing people that father Karras loved or knew mm-hmm. um in his life as almost like punishment for exercising them the the original one from reagan in the in the first exorcist that's what i took it as yeah. um that's pretty much right right <laughs> and then uh from there you start to realize you know because he tells you and then you see it happen uh that 
the the demons within Father Karras or can project themselves and po- they can possess these like kind of catatonic people in the hospital, right? These like older people who are kind of weak and maybe have some mental thing going on and they're able to possess them easily from very far distances and make them travel and go and kill people. And that's how this is happening. Mm-hmm. And that's why the calling card is like the Gemini killer, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they even go after uh, Kenderman's daughter, like in his own house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and luckily he gets there in time and someone miraculously pulls his daughter away from getting her head chopped off. Then as that's happening, Father Morning shows up. Uh, this is like yeah, <laughs> this is again is where I gets... wish there was more um like uh transition or like some con- I don't know. Yeah. It seemed out of the blue to me. And this is but... where like the like the director's cut and the theatrical cut this is where like the big argument starts cuz it's like a lot of the stuff they muddled with and you know um it is very um you like lose track and you're like wait who and you know they yeah. it seem like they throw this exorcism well, scene you see him getting tormented by like demons in his room at yeah. his you know i forget the term um of where he's at and mm-hmm. then he must just like know there's something going down in washington dc mm-hmm. right and that's um that's it wasn't like a nice clean transition for me because I'm, I'm sitting here like how did father morning know where to go how do you know father Karis was there and if he did know why did he just leave him there to rot this whole time like why didn't mm-hmm. they he at least go and help identify him? like you know it just was weird to me and he just waltzes in you know in all of his robes and he's ready to exercise this demon yet again um and he <laughs> goes in uh starts this exorcism and is a bit of a little bit kind of unprepared for what he was yeah, coming up against which is just, which is more of a legion of you know evil spirits and not just one um and you know he ends up being kind of scalped almost yeah um, he uh he gets some cinnabite level torture yeah he, done to him it, it's pretty rough and then um kenderman cut comes in you know because father morning came the possessed old lady who was trying to kill his daughter you know She's just an old lady now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he runs back. He's like, something's going down with Father Karras. So he gets there and Bill is, or Kenderman is ready to like take out Father Karras. But these demons are too strong and they've got him held up and he, they hold him up against the wall. Um, and he has this really good um, monologue where he's talking about like, I believe, I believe it's, I called it his, I believe speech. Um, you want me to read that, it, by the way? Sure. Yeah, let me find if you it. Wrote it down. It's, it's pretty killer, man. I had it, uh, let's see. This is right before the end, so we're almost there. But this, the I believe speech was pretty powerful. Because it's not like him calling on God and saying, like, I believe in God. I believe in God's you know, mercy and power and all these things. It's like, I believe in you. I believe in the evilness of you. Um, uh, if I can find that shit. Which, you know, indirectly is saying, I also believe in God. Um, Cause you like, it's kind of coming full circle. You start the movie with him questioning God in its existence. And then you're ending with him. Like, I believe. I think that's another, like, I think that goes into my point of like, why I dig like all the priests in this. Cause they're all like imperfect and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm different cause I know priests, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, they're, they're just guys. They've chosen a different you know, profession, one yeah, I guess different that, lifestyle, you know? Yeah. And, I, yeah. I don't mean it to sound like, you know, I, my uncle is a priest. I've taken him to, you know, game six Pacers heat, you know, like <laughs> any other guy. <laughs> Shit. I can't find it. 
that's all right well if you yeah. if you're wondering go look it up um the whole or just go watch that scene i'm sure you can find it you know one scene that's, on YouTube. Com- that's coming back to me and i'm jumping around so after father dyer dies mm-hmm. remember he's going into the room where all the you know people with mental you know disability is not a right word but you know illness could dementia, yeah, dementia and all those other things mm-hmm. like you remember there's like the person crawling on the ceiling yeah oh. and, that, and that like oh my, oh my gosh but that never really comes back yeah well, well i think it's just the show uh the power I, I, the power of see, this i'm thing. glad that it never came back though I may be on the opposite end of that. Well, I, and the answer is probably because all those people, I think the thought is because they're they're so far gone in their mental state that they're easy to for a demon to manipulate, so to speak. Yeah, he says that much. The Gemini yeah. killer says that much. Which is a cool idea, really. Like, yeah, they're I mean, easy it's, uh... to inhabit, I think is something he says. But yeah, you know, after the I, you know, I believe speech, um, Father Karis, it's not him yet. It's still these demons, right? Um, but they're like striking lightning into the floor and opening a pit of, to hell. And Father Karras is on a crucifix, you know, being raised up. And this is what Bill is seeing. Here, do you want to do you want to read the "I Believe" speech? Yeah, I, think I will funny. in a second after I tell kind of how okay. it ends. Um, and then uh, Father Morning finds a little life left in himself to grab his cross or whatever and hold it up and call forth father Karis and say like fight them come forth come forth or whatever he says basically like fight them mm-hmm. and father Karis has a moment of clarity he's able to kind of overcome the demons and take you know control of the body and that's when he's like bill shoot me kill me take me out and bill does and that kind of ends it or mm-hmm. that's what we're left yeah. to believe right yeah and freeze him like you know from i mean he's dead but it's like freeze him Okay, so this is the I believe speech. <laughs> it says, this I believe in. I believe in death. I believe in disease. I believe in injustice and in inhumanity, torture and anger and hate. I believe in murder. I believe in pain. I believe in cruelty and infidelity. I believe in slime and stink and everything, every crawling putrid thing, every possible ugliness and corruption, you son of a bitch. I believe in you. Just put a little metal riff behind that. <laughs> but yeah, you yeah, said, uh, so... Yeah, so like let's talk about some of the some of the word like some of the script and stuff cuz you said uh you felt like that it was and maybe maybe I'm using your words incorrectly. You felt like it was like maybe overwritten at times or maybe a little bit too wordy. No, I didn't think it was too wordy all the time. I think I just noticed mm-hmm. in this film how word dense it was. Mm-hmm. Like it was like so dialogue and monologue driven um in terms of like the plot and there there wasn't a lot of times where you know you've seen a lot of movies that are a lot of vibe and visual where like the story is you know brings you along and you're seeing things happen but you don't necessarily need someone to describe to you you know every step of the way like you may get a little you know a little breadcrumb here or there that helps you connect the dots um, but someone's not having this like 15 minute dialogue telling you every detail. Um, so I think that's, I just noticed it was different than what I'm used to. Yeah. Not necessarily that it's bad. Big time. Uh, Mike, what did you think about that? Like what do you prefer? And we, we can kind of lump the killings in with this because the killings is kind of like the, uh, the same point as well, because we've talked about how it is like a really, really fucked up movie, but 
it's all implied. Like, you never really see anybody get murdered in this entire movie, which is mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, besides at the end with Father Karras. Was that, like, effective to you, and do you dig that kind of, like, uh, choice in horror movies? Well, number one, I think it is effective. It makes mm-hmm. your brain... It makes your brain be more disturbed because you have to visualize what happens. Look at that. You're a poet, bud. Yeah. And uh, this is completely different. But in the first Halloween movie, like uh-huh. you never see any blood. Yeah. And that is something I had not thought of until I you know, heard that from somebody. I thought, I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right. Mm-hmm. So I Texas think Chainsaw Massacre. Not a lot of blood. The only blood you see is when that chainsaw skins his knee like towards the end pretty much you know but again you get kind of mental you know stimulation here on the chainsaw you just you kind of you can hear the you can smell the burning in your head of that blade Mm -hmm. going around the loud noise the piercing noise you know and same thing here you know noises that put me to sleep every night like i'm when i heard how father dyer died you know i'm thinking about how you know when you give blood that little moment when they take it out and then they put that bandage on like oh, you can dude. just kind of feel that <laughs> sensation, you know, when they describe what happened. So I think mentally, you know, it makes your brain work in a, you know, in a disturbing way. So I, I think it is effective in terms of, do I dig it? You guys are deeper thinkers than me. I hadn't thought about it until this conversation, <laughs> but um, no, I thought it was effective in this case. Yeah. Like even think about the, uh, the jump scare, like you, they don't actually show you like the beheading scene, it cuts to that fucking Jesus, and you're yeah. like, oh, no, it's creepier. That, that, yeah, exactly. The, the there was a couple of scenes I think where you saw the uh, it was a Jesus or a Mary statue. I think it was oh. a Mary statue where she's you know the statue's decapitated. Yeah, and then, I mean that's scary as hell. That opening man where it shows uh, the church doors blow open and then the Jesus statue opens its eyes. I like has always fucking creeped me out. The one of the creepiest scenes in there is when the father dies giving, you know, receiving the confession from the old lady. Mm-hmm. I mean, you knew that was going to be bad. And then she started going into what she did. You know, like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I love how you hear her voice morph. Oh, as she's tell after she's giving her confession. Cause you don't see her. You just hear it. And you just hear the voice get like, uh, more gravelly and like disturbed because it starts out as like a little old lady and then it's like demon. Mm. I don't know. I thought that was really cool. And then you just see these kids, poor kids, like sitting in the pews with their hands clasped, like traumatized. Cause, and then their mom is over here like freaking out because she's the one who found the, the priest, you know, with his head cut off. Mm. There's blood pouring all over the floor. Oh my God. Could you imagine? Yeah, that scene was wild. I just loved, um, kinderman from the start when he's even like the scene where he's in the room with the like all of his detectives that are working the case mm-hmm. and he's just like we're doomed like just like talking to them like they're a bunch of like idiots and he just it's very that that fast talking like it reminded me of like people from like chicago and new york how they just like talk really fast those are kind of older noir kind of yeah exactly yeah um, i think that's why i love this character and then i loved how you see him being so like such a hard ass and then cut to him with father dyer and he's actually quite soft um because they're friends like, they're legit friends yeah. Like, yeah i love that man but yeah they're just sitting and having breakfast and uh kinderman kinderman's like the whole world is a homicide victim father would a god who is good invent something like that plainly speaking it's a lousy idea it's not popular it's not a winner uh, Father Dwight, Father Dyer goes, uh, there you go, blaming God. 
uh, Kinderman, who should I blame? Uh, Phil Rizzo. Here, I'm just going to read. I'm not going to say Kinderman He's or whatever. He's such a smart You wouldn't want to live forever. Yes, I would. No, you wouldn't. You'd get bored. I have hobbies. In the meantime, we have cancer and... Can you say mongoloid anymore? No. Well, you just did. Yeah. We, yeah. Cancel. Cancel. You didn't ma- you didn't write the script, so just let's keep going. Yeah, quote, <laughs> I have hobbies. In the meantime, we have cancer and mongoloid babies and murderers and monsters prowling the planet, even prowling this neighborhood, Father. Right now, while our ch- children suffer and our loved ones die, but your God goes waltzing <clears throat> blissfully through the universe like some kind of cosmic Billy Burke. But, Bill, it all works out all right. When? At the end of time. That soon? Like, I just love that, like, well, way, way of going I back and Father forth. I think Father Dyer goes on to say something like, you know, we're, in, we're infinite. We're spirits, you know, like, yeah, we're our going life on, on Earth isn't the end or something like that. We're going on from there. We're going to live forever, Bill. We're, yeah. we're spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just dug, like, how they were two guys on different, like, planes in life and two different pr- professions. One scene very very fucked up stuff um the other's the a priest and they're just legit friends and they have like a camaraderie there and they're just kind of opposites there's a dichotomy there of like a man who's lost hope and then a man who just lives on hope Mm -hmm. you know and you see like the good and evil in the film it's just very a kind of a a black and white black versus white you know Mm -hmm. kind of kind of reminded me like i brought it up one one other time, but like seven, like some of the dialogue that we got between the two characters in seven, uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. Okay. I wanted to ask each of us, okay. what is the one scene that will like, that's kind of burnt from this film that's burned in your mind? The jump scare easily. The, so for you, it's the, the white clothed mm-hmm. figure coming at the nurse mm-hmm. from behind chopper head off. Okay. Right. You Mike. Yeah, probably that, you know, or just, I keep thinking back to where you're just looking at like the little table in the hospital room and there's like 12 cups of blood on there. Ooh. Like if you've ever been in you know any kind of medical setting, I just find that frightening. Yeah. Um, does Liz, so Rose has this uh, tendency to, we'll be watching like some fucking low budget horror movie mm-hmm. where it's set at a hospital. Of course, there's nobody there and stuff and they're doing things wrong. Does Liz like set and be like, they wouldn't do that and like, you know, that's too many milligrams or like, you know, like shit like mm-hmm. that. I'm just like, Rose, stop. <laughs> you know, she, she really doesn't. I mean, unless I ask her, you uh-huh. know, um, now I say that Liz's dad's a physician. He will, he'll say something. Yeah. <laughs> I need to have him on the show, but yeah, good luck getting him on. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to have but, him on for uh, like they live or yeah. something. You know, but I'm one of those guys. It's like, you know, I know a movie is imperfect. Yeah. You know, I generally, you know, I like the movies that are kind of laid out for me. I'm a simple guy, you uh-huh. know, but I'm not going to think of, oh my gosh, what does a computer monitor say? Is that a real heartbeat? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that a regular heart rate? Yeah. You know, I just, I don't watch movies to be a gotcha guy. Would mm-hmm. that dosage really kill him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Mike, I want to give, I want you to give The Exorcist Part 3 stars out of five. How many stars out of five would you give The Exorcist Part 3? Probably three. I think a two would be too low. It's not the greatest film of all time. You know, it's the third for a reason. But mm-hmm. I'd call it a three. I mean, is it too long? Yes, in my opinion. But you know, I think every movie is too long. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, so a three is fair. 
You know, what do you think? I think, like uh, you mentioned, the length of the movie. For the first time in like probably a year, I was able to get through a mo- uh, Dune on HBO Max. It's fucking two hours and like 48 minutes. Yeah, that's too long. And I watched it all the way through. I was like, that was See, mind-blowing. That would take me three days to get through. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, what about you? I know you hate the film, so. That's actually not true, because uh, I'll show you. Here. So I'm not lying. This is what's in my notes. Okay. I gave it a four out of five. Right. Wow. Evidence okay. here. Right. So, like, I can be critical of a film, and there are things I may not, you know, have preferred about mm-hmm. it, but... I still do think it was, like, on the whole, a good film. I watched it twice. Once, because we were, we were going to record, a, like, a, like, a while ago, and then the mm-hmm. pandemic, and things were crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, Pack season, but Well, everyone had life stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I wanted to be sure I was fresh on the film, so I watched it again mm-hmm. today, actually. And it's it stood up, and I still was, like, pretty enthralled by it, even the second time, so... I think that's a sign of a pretty good film. It's not one I'm going to like put in every year and watch it. Like I think mm-hmm. I've seen enough of mm-hmm. it, but I mean if somebody good. if somebody likes horror, right? And they're they ask me, you know, should I watch this? I'd tell them, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'll say this too about most horror series. Like majority of those films are not 4 and 5 stars. You know what I mean? I feel like what a do three you mean by that? Like most extended like series like the halloween series like the slasher series yeah any of the horror films i feel like maybe other than the first one it's Mm -hmm. a four five stars at times very often is it a mediocre movie you know i yeah that's what i'm saying like i think a three star rating for like a third film in a in a series like this is really good yeah Yeah, like fair i think the only series that Pro- the only series that like breaks that is probably Nightmare on Elm Street with part three because part three rocks and it's probably like the best of the series. But Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th are probably the only two that, yeah, that doesn't work. But that's and just it's your own, it's your own personal scale mm-hmm. too. Like if you would rewatch mm-hmm. that film over and over again, does it matter if it was really good? It's still a five in oh, your yeah, book, for right? Sure. For sure. That's kind of how I rate things. Uh, this would be like a four and a half out of five for me. Like I said, I was, I was, um, I still think that I enjoy it more than the original, but you just can't deny that the original is a fucking masterpiece. Like it just, it just is. Like the commentary for the time that it was made, uh, the performances in that original movie. Um, I just a masterpiece. And sorry to interrupt you, Travis, but Very I good. think had I not seen any other like modern Exorcist kind of films, and that was the first one I've seen, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, it's a four and a half, four or five, whatever. Do you think that mo- the some of the modern ones have done it better? Like I really thought the exorcism of Emily Rose did a really good job incorporating right. kind of modern That's te- interesting. And granted that's mid mid 2000s so it's not like technology was killer. Uh-huh. But like let's say you first released that movie, you know, the original Exorcist in the mid 2000s. I think that movie is outstanding. You know what I mean? I've just seen other two similar type of movies. You know, I've heard all about the exorcism through other things. They make fun of it and spoof movies. It's just I I knew too much to set like a yeah. realistic bar for it. Yeah. So I don't. I'm not trying to disparage the movie. That's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. A lot of what's come after the exorcist is derivative of it, though. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's like I could see why it would be hard to look back, especially with the 
effects that they can do now too. Rat- yeah, that's exactly yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the newer Exorcist stuff, like, just, and it's yeah, it's a different time because it's, it's like I, rem- I remember you texting me and you were like, "Is this gonna get going?" Because it's like <laughs> in the seventies, they didn't give a fuck, but it was like the first hour, you know, slow it's just burn like, was the way yeah, it was. Meeting yeah. the characters and but yeah, um, f- four out of five out of five, four out of five. Four and a half, Four and a half out, out of, of five. God, dude. <laughs> it's been a long day, okay? Four and a half out of five uh, for me. I really still love this uh, film. Um, like I said, the original being what it is, but I think that this one um, uh, matches the original in tone and in like, execution. I think it was the worthy sequel to the original. Um, I absolutely love this movie. And uh, Kate is 100% wrong on the jump scare. And I will go to my. It's death. the build. I'm gonna have up. that written on my tombstone. It's the but. build up to the jump scare. I just can't believe I gave the movie a lower rating than Katie based on the prior discussion. Yeah, I trick people sometimes. What can I say? Cool. So that is the Exorcist Part Three, Mike. I want to thank you for joining us. It is always a pleasure to join you guys. Hopefully, you know our listeners didn't fall asleep listening to me ramble on. No, so thanks for making this, it this man. far. I you're appreciate good at this, it, man. You you're do have at... a voice oh, for, for thank radio you. and pops. I, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> Slow jams with Mike um, all night long. Yeah, there you go. Um, book wreck this week is Exorcist Falls. The devil's in you. I, I just oh. need to note, you know, ever since we talked about the Ouija Dude. board, Katie has knocked a devil mask off the mall. Off the wall, excuse me, oh twice now. God. So I think that settles that discussion from earlier. Uh, book rec real, real quick, The Exorcist Falls by Jonathan Jans. This is killer. This is kind of like right in line with Exorcist Part 3, uh, this whole Exorcist series. Um, serial killer uh, that's called the Sweet 16 Killer, uh, which is always cool. Uh, murdering people, and people are trying to stop him. So I'll just throw that out there. There's a little exorcism angle. Uh, but, yeah, I'll recommend that. Um, but as always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Horrifying My Friends and on Twitter at Horrifying MF. Also hit me a line at Capped Creature on Twitter and TikTok. Um, do you have a TikTok? I do have a TikTok, yes. Oh, wow. I am not a poster. I'm just a uh, a viewer. Creeper. You're a creeper. I like to think I'm a viewer, but yeah. I, I could see why I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, have a um, have a demonic week. Horrifying, my friends. <laughs>